the relationship between athletes and cannabis has long been decried for its perceived negative association. Thankfully, that misconception is being reshaped as athletes are now experiencing a certain form of liberation, one which has inspired them to move from the shadows and serve as advocates for the medicine that they deem so vital. These stories are worthy of greater attention and will serve to help augment the discourse around medicinal cannabis. The cannabis culture and sport deserves to be celebrated, not maligned. And these conversations will move us in that direction. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis with your host, Bill Bronner. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis. This is your host, Bill Bronner. Pleased to note um, our current interviewee, none other than Elias Teodoro, um, commonly known as Spartan in the UFC world. Um, I'm sure many of you are um, probably, especially you fans, uh, readily aware of both he and his uh, his accomplishments in um, the UFC uh, world. Elias has um, launched as of 2014. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to retract that because that sounded a bit clumsy. So let's start from the beginning. And just to talk about the distractions in front of me, I have my two children and their dog out in the yard running around in the mud waving at me. <laughs> hey, which you're going to have to clean up soon. <laughs> Yeah, I, I literally want to motion to him, just take off your damn shoes when you come in the house, otherwise I'm going to be livid. <laughs> so, uh, um, anyhow, so, yeah, thanks for... Thanks for um, being flexible. All right, we'll start from the beginning. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis. This is your host, Bill Bronner. Pleased to identify our current guest is none other than um, former and current um, MMA and UFC professional fighter, Elias Teodoro, out of Toronto. Elias has achieved a great deal, both in the cannabis industry and the athletic arena alike. And um, we're decide, del delighted to have someone of his prominence on, uh, on the show today. Welcome to our program, Elias. Well, thank you so much for having me. So Elias, I know that your um, journey into the cannabis world, like so many of us, has been somewhat of a wayward one, and um, in your particular instance, a very remarkable one. Before we dive into kind of that element of your life, I'd like to uh, kind of turn the clock, clock back, so to speak, and have you illustrate a little bit about uh, your springboard into the fighting world. Um, how that kind of came to be and what inspired you to, to kind of take the steps that you did to hone your skills and embrace the, the world of fighting in such a, a real and serious way. Yeah, well, I started as a fan first and foremost, um, watching the UFC. And um, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, I just showed up at a gym and just never left. And soon thereafter, after my first uh, uh, session, uh, I, I, I was just hooked right away. And then a couple of years later, I stepped into the cage as a professional one, went on a, um, what eventually became a 13 fight winning streak. But in that, in between that uh, winning streak, um, I entered and competed in the ultimate fighter and was the first Canadian to win that as well. Um, and kind of cement myself in regards to that aspect of, you know, the many greats that have come into the, the show through the ultimate fighter and have won. And, uh, kind of hit the ground running in regards to my career. Uh, as it stands now, I'm 18 and three uh, professionally 
and my only losses are to top challengers in the world um, and obviously never being knocked out. Uh, there, there's some aspect in regards to, you know, along with the wins, uh, even my losses have been formative in regards to my uh, career. So, you know, still got a lot of fight in me. And now at the age of almost 32, um, basically, uh, you know, uh, I, all things considering as we all are pausing our life in some capacity, uh, waiting for the, the next fight, but, uh, you know, healthy, happy, and uh, looking to uh, get back into the cage as soon as possible. Pleased to hear it. In, in advance of your um, ability to kind of accelerate uh, both as an amateur and, and professionally in the kind of greater UFC universe, I want you to, if you can, focus a little bit about um, your experience as a youth. Were you inclined to fight? Did you have kind of a, a, a generous, sweet disposition or... Did you grow up with kind of a chip on your shoulder? Were you somewhere in between? What kind of emotionally and psychologically was happening um, during that period of life that, you know, kind of laid the proverbial foundation for you to be a fighter? I imagine there is a lot that happens with kind of just the, the human imprint in terms of experience at a young age. Yeah, no doubt. Ultimately, it kind of shapes you to, uh, you know, take the trajectory that one does in life. No, definitely. Um, basically, uh, much like you said, uh, I, I wasn't actually predisposed uh, to fighting. I was actually very much uh, the flight rather than fight uh, originally, uh, but kind of was thrown into a um, uh, after school fight that I tried to walk away from. And for lack of a better word, something kind of snapped and I ended up, uh, someone hit me and, you know, as a reaction, I defended myself. And that was in front of, you know, half the school. Uh, and this was around, I want to say 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. And um, from there, because I was in high school, um, half the school was there, but because someone filmed it on the razor, just to date the, the situation, someone filmed it on the razor and it kind of went, quote unquote, pre-viral uh, around school. I got a, a lot of attention from that. And um, that kind of changed who I was in some capacity, realizing uh, the, the positive reinforcement uh, that kind of came from there. Um, I never started fights in high school. I just, uh, for lack of a better word, or maybe the proper word, I finished them. Um, and that's kind of came my, my identity in some ways. And, uh, you know, I, I went for, uh, for that whole time duration in high school, uh, essentially undefeated, if you will. Um, and uh, again, that was part of my identity and part of, uh, you know, my growing up uh, as a, a man uh, or a basically a boy into a man. And after my first university year university, I went to um, an old watering hole uh, back home and picked a fight with someone I shouldn't have and ended up losing that fight. Uh, but kind of, you know, into the component of the parallels in regards to how it all started, uh, that too was filmed and it ended up going on YouTube. Uh, so because I lost that one, uh, Again, the, the positive reinforcement that I got from that experience originally uh, with the razor, uh, it was a complete opposite uh, once it went viral. Um, you know, the difference between uh, a couple hundred people seeing it at school versus it going viral on YouTube when YouTube was just starting and millions have seen it, uh, it was real devastating. Uh, you know, my whole identity as an individual was kind of shattered in some ways. So I confided in my father and he basically said, hey, well, you love that UFC stuff so much. Uh, why don't you go to gym and make sure this never happens again? And I did. And um, originally I was going to, you know, learn something and then find this guy and, you know, 
demand a rematch, but in many ways I was able to instead uh, center myself uh, and basically find a new path uh, to the fact that if I ever saw that guy again, I'd buy him dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, yeah, it, I find that you know very eye-opening that it was such a catalyzing experience for you. Um, I think you know the psychological toll of, of losing once and only twice. And, you know, just the mortification that one has to endure being on the losing side of a bout like that, um, you know, can sometimes just leave uh, kind of a, a lasting you know, kind of festering wound that um, you know, is difficult to, to oversee. And, you know, certainly a credit to you and your fortitude and, you know, the, the integral force of your father and I'm sure your support system to use as motivation to turn the page and, and start anew. So that's, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's, ex that's exactly how it happened. Obviously, every situation, there's a positive and negative uh, action reaction that can kind of happen or happen out of it. And I, I, I took uh, the negative of losing and uh, kind of, you know, dissolving that identity in some ways in regards to uh, some of that got in high school fights uh, to turn that into a positive. And obviously, the path uh, was a positive in regards to my life and my career. Now, I know it, uh, during that time of your youth, you were a skating enthusiast. And just given the inherent um, kind of precarious nature of, of skateboarding, had uh, suffered a, a range of different injuries that I think to this day are still manifesting themselves. Do you skate anymore? And um, what, uh, you know, what was that experience like, you know, skateboarding in your hometown? Yeah, well, again, before uh, high school and kind of leading in through it, uh, my identity for the most part was a skateboarder. Um, uh, you know, I loved it. I, I, I had friends uh, outside of school that I would uh, travel with uh, both locally and, uh, you know, in different places as well in regards to competition and also, um, you know, certain uh, there's certain places uh, that the professionals uh, used to skateboard that kind of become you know, famous that people kind of make a pilgrimage to and go and train or not train, but go and skate at. So that was kind of uh, my formative years uh, before high school and a little bit into high school. And obviously my, um, my uh, focus ended up starting to shift from skateboarding into to MMA after university. Um, and part of that was, again, because of the, the most um, substantial injury was um, I used to jump off of uh, very tall, you know, structures and stairs and hand railings before I realized that I was terrified of heights. <laughs> but uh, falling, uh, I think it was like a 10 or 12 set of stairs um, for a, for some type of uh, media obligation. I can't remember what exactly it was. Uh, I think it was like a magazine or uh, some kind of like uh, skate video, et cetera, et cetera, that I was filming for. But um I, I hitched right at the top of it going for what I believe was a, it's called the technical term is a feeble, feeble grind uh, down a uh, handrail and, uh, you know, hitched from the top and fell all the way down. And in doing so, I broke my hand um, and being young at the time, I think it was, I was like 16. Um, didn't really go to the doctors when I should have. I took a couple of weeks for it to heal and in doing so it kind of healed uh, broken. Um, so they had to smash it and then it didn't take even after they did that uh, and the, the cast that kind of followed from that. So they ended up having to resort to uh, a bone graft. So they took bone out of, and, and cartilage out of my hip and refashioned me a new wrist and screwed it all together. 
to the point where now, um, even today, uh, the range of motion is uh, very limited and uh, there is degeneration, which, you know, obviously was the catalyst in regards to uh, my medical condition in regards to bilateral neuropathy and why I use and need uh, medical cannabis uh, in regards to my um, medical uh, regime as both patient and athlete. Suffice it to say, Elias, that at a young age, you were confronted with pain and for um, a significant period of time, I'm sure you managed it in a myriad of different ways. And it wasn't until you had your kind of awakening with cannabis um, and its healing properties where, you know, you had that aha moment and, you know, were able to um, kind of reposition yourself as an athlete and uh, uh, know full well that, you know, there was a very effective remedy that existed outside of the conventional world that you could continue to lean on. Well, that's exactly it, right? And and, and that was in keeping with uh, my conversations and my guidance for my doctor. Uh, cannabis and very much is a medicine, and that's how I've uh, been able to uh, harness it as a plant um, as well. Um, so uh, it's been a process, uh, much like the process of becoming a mixed martial artist than a professional and competing at the highest level. Um, it's learning and growing and um, taking what you, you can through the guidance of those that have taught you. And that's what I've been very lucky and thankful uh, to have the people uh, along the path uh, to do such that, learn and grow as patient and athlete. We have a quick commercial break and then we're going to pick up where we left off here shortly. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. It's time to Hemp Resent. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident Hempo Sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp Resents, only on Cannabis Radio. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. 
Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Alex, i got some burning questions for you in regards to the steady ascent of popularity um, in terms of kind of the this merger of two worlds out of, of cannabis and mixed martial arts, namely the UFC, and that obviously... Um, more recently became abundantly clear in terms of evidence, uh, given the, the multi-year partnership between the UFC and Aurora Cannabis. I've found it just to be somewhat fascinating that, you know, kind of the growth of MMA being one of the fastest growing sports in, in America and more broadly across the globe kind of mirrors this steady rise of, of the cannabis industry. We recognize it as well. No, definitely. Um, I even actually wrote about it, um, in my announcement in regards to my own medical uh, therapeutic use exemption, uh, just the parallels in, with MMA and cannabis uh, more broadly in, in regards to uh, Canada and its process uh, to become legal. Uh, the MMA and the UFC were not really considered a sport back in the day. Uh, a lot of that had to do with the, uh, the current um, regulations and laws uh, of what you know competition was in combat sports. Uh, originally, uh, just more narrowly, in, in um, Ontario, it was considered or deemed air quotes illegal because you could only make money and uh, win a fight using your hands. So obviously, the other forms of um, you know, strikes that you can do in MMA that you can't do in boxing would prevent you from winning and prevent you from being fouled into victory and winning your purse. So that had to be, um, you know, taken on and uh, lobbied and fought for, uh, which was then done uh, beforehand and thereafter uh, throughout the U.S. and uh, many other places that didn't have the infrastructure or the um, regulatory system in that capacity. So it's that that process to eventually become a sanctioned uh, sanctioned sport, uh, you know, recognized and um, regulated by a governing body that has a parallel to cannabis. Cannabis, again, going back to Ontario, where I'm from, uh, it was won in the courts, and those each battle pushed cannabis, medical cannabis more specifically, um, as a, a medicine. And it obviously didn't start that way. Uh, either did MMA and the UFC start up as, as a sport. It took regulatory change uh, to uh, push uh, everything in the cannabis side of history. And uh, I couldn't be prouder in my small part in doing that in athletics now with my therapeutic use exemption and what that means for all other athletes moving forward. Yeah, that, that was a significant breakthrough. And um, obviously you set a precedent that um, is going to have, you know, very positive ramifications hopefully over time um, and, you know, overlap with, with a, you know, a series of, of other sports. I want to get back to that um, authorization that was doled out by the British Columbia Athletic Commission, which to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm, wrong here, Elias, is kind of the, the counterpart of the USADA, the Anti-Doping Agency? It's more specifically the um, uh, Athletic Commission. So 
uh, the Athletic Commission of British Columbia, which is a governing body, uh, runs and rule and puts rulings on um, on their competition there for both boxing and MMA. Uh, and I think other sports too. I think it's kickboxing, et cetera, et cetera. So like I alluded to in the previous uh, conversation, it, it's the athletic commission that basically is the infrastructure to allow this to become and recognize as a sport, usually oversawn by the local uh, governing body. So this one is British Columbia. Um, New York would have their own. California would have their own. And it's that basis and that kind of network because North America actually all works with each other. So it, it's why this becomes such a, a precedent. It, it's not the anti-doping agency uh, that USADA is, but it is a different aspect, more akin to uh, you know the NFL or the MLB. It's not the governing it's not the um, third party come. It's actually a part of the actual competition within that sport. So the way that the precedent is set, um, for instance, uh, cannabis is considered a schedule one drug. So if someone was to be caught with another schedule one drug, let's say, you know, uh, a steroid or even again, uh, cannabis being a um, schedule one drug it is, you know, prohibited in sports. So let's say if someone was caught with um, a schedule one drug of some sort, in New York and was suspended for a year and they wanted to compete uh, in California, California would deny them because they would, they would recognize the suspension of a year in, a, in their, in their uh, sister uh, uh, jurisdiction of New York and said that and would say that they couldn't, um, they couldn't apply for a competition uh, until that suspension was over. So that is the negative example. The positive example would be my therapeutic use exemption uh, approved by a therap uh, by a governing body uh, in British Columbia would potentially open the door for any North American um, any North American athletic commission because you almost in the way that's structured you'd almost have to prove or the commission would almost have to prove why that other commission is wrong so uh, they for the most part honor rulings uh, and again this isn't a rubber stamp in in any way shape or form it's it's very much a process uh, to get cannabis recognized as a medicine because that's what this is. This actually does. It's the first case that cannabis is considered a medicine in professional sports, and it creates opportunity for other athletes in uh, a similar situation to, if appropriate, apply for their own therapeutic use exemption. Um, right now, it's in British Columbia, both for MMA fighters, professional and amateur, and I believe kickboxers as well. Uh, but moving forward, my therapeutic use exemption would open the door in, in other jurisdictions for athletes that wouldn't be able to do that because of, uh, you know, other outside variables. Uh, for instance, in the U.S. potentially because of its uh, continued schedule one drug status, meaning that there's no medical property to it. So uh, this is an avenue to open the door not only in British Columbia for athletes, but all over North America. I couldn't agree with you more. And I know that particular triumph uh, wasn't necessarily an easy achievement in that it was, you know, fraught with challenges from the beginning, evidenced by the fact that I think you had, what, three or four different attempts and each of which had failed until you ultimately prevailed. So that's certainly a, a credit to your willingness to endure the system and, and be persistent. So um, kudos to you, Elias, for grinding through the system and um, ultimately... Um, you know, setting a precedent that will have ripple effects, as I said before, hopefully into uh, 
much larger universe, athletically speaking. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. We have to take another commercial break here, and then we're going to pick up where we left off. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. The The Green Green Peak. Peak with Richard Zwicky. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him pink, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Let me welcome Nick Hexum from 311. We never heard things like your music when it first came out. It's like to mix the reggae with the punk and all of that together was just such an unusual sound and and we loved it. We realized we're not going to copy what's on the radio. At the time, it was all grunge that was on the radio. And I said, let's just stick to what we know and wait for a culture to come around to us. Hey, it's Nick Hexum from 311, and you're listening to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina on CannabisRadio.com. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis. Only on CannabisRadio.com. So, Elias, I don't have a, a terribly good grasp of, just getting back to what we were talking about before, uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency is the body that administers kind of UFC's anti-doping program. So my question to you, what is the policy? Because to me, it's a bit nebulous. I know, obviously, CBD has been, not relaxed, but has been... Um, uh, embraced as of a couple of years ago. I think they um, laughingly refer to it as uh, Nate Diaz rule back in what, I think 2018 or Give or take, 2019, yeah. um, where cannabinoids, CBD in particular, were allowed, but other psychoactive active ingredients, namely THC, were disallowed. What are the penalties levied um, out or in and outside of competition by the UFC for? medicinal cannabis use, um, i.e. kind of non-CBD, THC-based use. Yeah. I'm curious. So, well, the underlining aspect is that the United States Anti-Doping Agency gets their funding uh, from the U.S., and the U.S. still looks at cannabis as a Schedule One drug, so they find it with no medical properties. So uh, the avenue when I was um, applying for a therapeutic use exemption through USADA, it was always an uphill battle for that reason. They uh, didn't uh, recognize my fundamental right as a Canadian to medicate as uh, prescribed uh, by my doctor and afforded to me by my charter rights and freedom. 
um, because healthcare is a fundamental right in Canada. So going through the Canadian avenue that I did through British Columbia um, allowed me to argue additional claims uh, beyond my medicine uh, and my need for my medicine uh, in regards to cannabis. Um, the the aspect obviously being that they have, um, you know, created some progress. Uh, the UFC is actually pretty progressive in, in many ways. Uh, they don't test year round. They test what's in called in competition. And that's usually um, supposed to be uh, the latter, latter part of um, the month. So around two weeks, but every individual and every body and every buddy is different. So um, part of the, uh, the therapeutic use exemption that I applied for was actually attacking the current uh, system and um, avenue in which they test cannabis. Uh, that um, testing uh, scale and system is, is flawed because uh, they test via the uh, someone's fat solubles and uh, cells, uh, and everyone's ratio is different. So testing a 115 pound female fighter is a lot different than testing a um, 265 pound male fighter, but they have the same test. So that was part of the argument in which I, um, uh, attacked this therapeutic use exemption with my, uh, counsel, uh, Aaron McCracken, uh, and, um, in addition to the medical component of it. So the, the issue being, uh, that cannabis being included in, in the prohibited substance list, it can be anywhere between six six months to a year. Um, you mentioned uh, Nate Diaz. There's obviously Nick Diaz, who um, through a different commission a, a few years back was uh, originally suspended for a lifetime ban for having cannabis in his system uh, when his opponent ironically had uh, uh, actual steroids and actual um, performance enhancing drugs. Uh, but he ended up only getting uh, 14 months where Nick Diaz got a lifetime ban. There was outrage. Then they moved it to five years more outraged than they eventually did it to 18 months is what he was suspended for. So again, uh, looking at the, his opponent for that exact fight who got caught with actual steroids, I think there was two or three different types of real performance enhancing drugs. Um, and he got less of a suspension and that's the stigma that surrounds it. Uh, in addition, uh, there's been a lot of female athletes, uh, since the UFC, uh, allowed female athletes, uh, in competition, uh, because again, the, the, the current uh, testing mechanism very much is uh, discriminatory against certain body types and females being uh, that certain body type. Uh, there, there's uh, an athlete under the roster who was uh, flagged for cannabis and in doing so being labeled essentially a cheater, uh, not essentially being labeled a cheater and uh, a cannabis user uh, made her lose uh, many different sponsors uh, for both aspects, the, the stigma that's still attached to it and the, the, the labeling of uh, being a cheater. So not only would you lose, you would get, if you won, let's say if you did win a fight, you would lose that win, you'd get suspended, you'd get um, a penalty law levied against you. The stigma surrounding being labeled a cheater and a cannabis user, especially if you didn't want to be as vocal as someone like myself, um, is a very career detrimental, um, it's very detrimental one's career. And there are, there are unfortunately many different examples in that, um, both in MMA and abroad. Yeah, that's an understatement. I find it totally egregious that anyone could equate um, marijuana with an actual doping actions, i.e. steroid use or um, something 
comparable to that. But it seems as though we're steadily moving away from that. As you said, the UFC in particular has assumed a more progressive stance and has um, at least expressed a willingness to be more lenient and fall in line with, um, you know, more uh, some of the growing acceptance that we're thankfully all enjoying now, just society-wide, um, especially in Canada. Obviously, I think Canada is um, far more advanced in terms of widespread acceptance than here in the United States. But again, we're still leaning in that direction and, um, you know, progress is Well, it's actually... No, 100%. And it's crazy how fast it's going, obviously, over the last, you know, five, 10, et cetera, years. And even during this whole COVID, uh, you know, experience we're all dealing with, cannabis has essentially gone from illegal to essential in many, many uh, locations uh, in the span of a couple of months. So although it's taken a long time to be here, um, uh, the world is essentially slowly uh, going into that cannabis is, uh, you know, on the cannabis side of history. Without question, and uh, I can proudly say that I am part of that, I guess, statistical anomaly of a spiked growth of cannabis use and acquisition over the last month, at least here in the United States, that uh, historically has um, never really been uh, examined. I mean, it's becoming explosive. It is, you know, hugely important to kind of maintain a, a sense of calm and to heighten one's spirits. So I think of all the time in the <laughs> recent memory that its efficacy can be put on a, a, a really effective display. I mean, this is it. This is a pretty good testing ground for yeah. validation of, of medicinal cannabis. And then going back to the CBD component, uh, it hasn't been peer reviewed, but uh, already research has shown um, in, uh, in Canada, I think it's Calgary more specific, that CBD actually helps uh, combat the uh, virus load of COVID-19. So they're actually going through the peer review right now as we speak in regards to using cannabis to help mitigate um, uh, the, the virus load of um, COVID-19 and what that could potentially help with as well in regards to mitigating this whole situation that we're dealing. It, it's mind-boggling to see that cannabis and the cannabis plant and more generally has gone from illegal to essential in the span of six months, but obviously the many, many years uh, and many, many individuals that have worked hard um, collectively to uh, put cannabis in where it is right now. But together we grow. Agreed. That's, that's encouraging. And you yourself deserve a significant amount of credit for helping to position um, kind of that dialogue and for shaping our understanding about how cannabis and active lifestyles can coexist. So thank you so much, Elias, for joining our program. And I wish you all the best of luck in this kind of, you know, uh, future that's fraught with uncertainty for all of us. But I know the athletic community has effectively stalled, but hopefully we'll be able to um, kind of reappear and uh, know that that community can thrive once again. My pleasure. Uh, And again, uh, together we grow and thank you for having me on. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.